Welcome to the Forum Storytellers Podcast. This is Forum President and CEO Brian Whalen. Forum Storytellers shares and preserves stories about life and work in the field of education abroad. I hope that you enjoy the stories featured in this podcast. I'm Bill Gertz from American Institute for Foreign Study. We're at the Forum's 12th Annual Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's the Forum Storytellers Project. Bill. Hey, Nikki, how are you? I'm just fine. It's great to be here together with you again. It's great. Looking forward to it. Yeah. How would you describe yourself? Uh, Well, I'm a New Yorker. That's the first thing. I'm a a writer. That's the second thing. Poet. Third thing. And traveler would be fourth thing. Mm -hmm. I also do a lot of uh, business stuff, which we'll be talking about uh, today. But that's how I would describe myself as opposed to what I do for a living. How did you enter the field of education abroad? Um, There was a clear beginning for me. Uh, The year was 1973. I had just graduated from college. I went to SUNY Binghamton. And uh, summertime, three friends and I said, uh, let's go to Europe. Actually, my three friends wanted to go to Europe, and I kind of tagged along. Um, So we decided to go in like May, and we went in June. And uh, I had an amazing adventure in Europe. Came back in September, I traveled all around with a, with a student rail pass at $200. You could visit 15 countries. I slept in um, basements, youth hostels, parks. Uh, we hitchhiked, we backpacked, and I always say this, that I went away a, a little boy and I came back a grown man mm-hmm. um, with all the experiences. And I had, you know, I led a fairly sheltered life. I was never really outside of, of New York in my life. And this was, I went to Europe and I said, wow, this is amazing. So I came back and said, how do I have a career where I could travel my whole life and write and do all the things that I love to do? Because I was a, did a lot of journalism in, in college. I ended up after college doing some uh, investigative reporting and, and, and things like that for local newspapers. But I just found it was a whole new world of sophistication just a great thing to do. So I came back, um, got married, and then we went to Europe. My wife and I went to Europe with two friends, and we lived in a little house in um, the Bourget de Lac in the south of France. We went away starry-eyed with basically very little money and no language skills, but we wanted to live in France. It was a nightmare, a total disaster. We, We rented a house sight unseen, we had no, uh, no money, no place to go. Everything was on strike in France, as it still is often. Um, and we just had this bad time in terms of personal, interpersonal relationships. But we, when I got back again, I said, uh, well, now we ran out of money because we went with our wedding money. We totally ran out of money. I said, well, maybe, maybe I should get some sort of job. That might be a good idea. So I ended up, uh, saw an ad in... in um, New York Times for a job at CIEE for campus services manager, and I said uh, that sounds good. I'm going to go work for a nonprofit doing campus service managers, and that was the beginning of a career, which and that was 1976. So it was 30 years ago. You know the field hasn't changed all that much, and we'll, we'll get into that later. But that was my broad base. So it was really getting to Europe, seeing what it was like out there, and saying, how do I do this? the rest of my life. And then when I went to CIEE, it was great because I started to travel and I I was able to write. And um, it's kind of what I do today. I travel and I write and um, a bunch of other things. Um, But it was a great way to enter the field. 
So how would you describe your career? My career's been great. I, I love it. So I've had um, a bunch of different, still a bunch of different careers. As I said, I started out in, in 76 at CIEE, where I made all my basic contacts. I was there for a few years. I ended up leaving. It was not for me. That, I mean, I was 25 years old, but I thought I could run the company, which I couldn't have. <laughs> but I, I wanted to, so I went out on my own. So what I did is I started the William L. Gertz company. So it was a marketing company. And I ended up with my contacts from NAFSA doing um, a lot of consulting. So I consulted for organizations, tourist boards, airlines, the artist Peter Max, New York artist, writing. And I did a lot of investigative reporting. So I became more of a journalist um, and running a small marketing company, which was myself. And then I had one part-time employee. Uh, I did that for a while, and then I realized, like, it's going to be difficult to uh, sustain, a, you know, a baby and a, and, and, and a wife and, and myself. You know, the income was always um, dicey when you're a consultant. It's, you, know, you don't know when it's coming. So I figured that wasn't the life for me. And then I also worked part-time for Intercollegiate Holidays, which was a a very commercial travel organization, still involved in the field of international education, but from a, a real commercial side, which would be okay today, because the field has totally changed and is so much more commercial, it's no different than any other field. But at that time, 1976, 77, there was a problem with nonprofits versus profits. The field didn't like to talk about the industry, the field didn't like to talk anything commercial. There was words like ROI or, you know, all that stuff was forgotten. You couldn't do any of that. It was a very pure field in those days. I worked my way through that. Um, when I was at a NAFSA conference, actually, I was interviewed for a job at AIFS. And by that time, it, it was a right fit for me because it was, it was an organization that was pretty cutting edge in terms of the, the work it was doing. And I, was, I thought I'd be given a lot of latitude uh, to do what I wanted to do. And that was important to me. I had all these things I wouldn't do when I was a kid. I wouldn't cut my hair, so I couldn't play baseball because the team had all kinds of rules and regulations. So I'm really not great at that kind of stuff, following rules and regulations. But I, able to, I was able to make a career 30 years, basically skirting the line between what I can do and what the company didn't want me to do. So I figured if I ran the company, I could do whatever I want pretty much. So that took me a while, but that's kind of where I am now. How would you describe the uh, education abroad field? I mean, it's obviously a great, a great field to be in. The work is important. I think it doesn't change very much, uh, which is probably good for someone like me because it's the same issues and I don't have to learn that much new stuff. I know that's not going to sound great, but that's the truth. Um, we, we're facing the exact same issues you know, diversity it was always an issue. Getting more students abroad, quality of programs, same things I grew up on are the things that we talk about at all these conferences. The sessions are very similar, but the people are different, which I think is great. I think it's great to have people, new people involved in doing the same kind of work. The things that have changed really is technology has changed the whole field tremendously. That's been the big change. Uh, and as I said before, the commercialization of study abroad, for better or worse, that's been the big, the big change, it, 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 as I see it. You know, it's all about booths and vendors and forum and NAFSA. It's it's a, it's really a game of commerce. Mm 
like most of the world, which when I was younger, I would say that's ridiculous, but I'm never going to do that. But of course, you, you get older and wiser, and then um, you end up doing, trying to maintain your integrity, but also realizing that if you're going to be happy in this, you know, in this world, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to conform to a certain extent. So the more things change, the more they stay the I, same. I think so. I don't think that's a bad thing, because I think the issues, I mean, look, study abroad's doubled since 1990, which is a great thing. I mean, that's the whole plan to get more, more kids overseas. Still, the most important thing to me is getting students overseas, see the world, have an experience that I had, transforming experience, and then maybe we'll get peace at some point, which is when you yes. think about what... We never talk about peace, but that's what we want, and that's the goal of everything we do, really. I don't you know, know when we'll get there or if we'll get there, but the journey is, is worth doing. And I think for, um, for all of us who've been doing this a long time, we need to continue the journey. And I think that the field can't get too cynical. And, I, and I'm not cynical at all. When I say the field hasn't changed, it's a fact. It, you know, there are differences around the edges, but basically we're doing the same work. Advising is the same as it's always been. It's a one-on-one student advising. And you have all your websites and all your Google and all your, you know, all these organizations around, uh, review sites, but it's basically a study abroad advisor and a student. What kind of program is right for you? And that's the way it should be. So the tools that you give to the abroad advisors and any kind of knowledge that you have to give to them is worthwhile. And that's kind of what I think the field is. Did you study abroad? I did not study abroad. Um, I I barely studied in the United States, to be quite frank. I was not a good student, uh, not interested. My attention span is bad um, in general. I I, I just, I, I like to do a lot of different things. I'm not, I don't, didn't like classroom learning, um, still don't. I mean, I read a lot of books, but I read very fast and I, uh, with very little capacity for remembering what I, what I read. So it's probably ADD or whatever, but um, I, did, I didn't even consider studying abroad. Plus, I had no money as a kid. Kids didn't study abroad unless they were wealthy in the 70s. Um, I didn't know, it was not an option, not talked about. And I'm not sorry because I traveled abroad, and I think part of the study abroad experience is a travel experience. I mean, it's part of the study abroad is the experience, obviously, meeting people from other countries and cultures and all that. So who are or were your mentors in the field? Um, that's a, a great question. I have a bunch of, bunch of mentors. So I guess, I guess in the field, I would start with um, John Bowman. John was the executive director of CIEE. Sorry, yeah, CIE, and he was there at the beginning, 1947, when CIE was founded post-World War II. And I know, I know all about CIE because I went around the country giving speeches about the history of CIE, so I could probably do that as well as the history of AIFS, but, but I won't. Time, oops, boy. Okay, so um, John Bowman was a tremendous man. I mean, he was really the... Uh, and this industry doesn't, or whatever we are, this field, doesn't have a great history. That's why I love the Forum Project with AIFS and the Foundation, because I think it's so important that we remember all these people that were... I mean, he was a great man. No question, he was one of these leaders. He was a true believer, dedicated to study abroad, international education in the purest form. 
Uh, and so he was just a great man. And I remember um, I didn't have a lot of contact with him because I was kind of low level at CIEE. But when I quit, I went into his office and he was very confused on why I was quitting. And I had all these reasons. A lot of them were dumb reasons. Like I didn't want to rip tickets. We had tickets we had to pull apart for our charter flights. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to do that because I thought I was a manager. <laughs> so I said, I don't want to rip tickets. So I'm not doing it. So John, I went to John Bowman's office. And this is in the time of... Um, Archer Brown, who was, you know Archer very well. Mm-hmm. So I went into John Bowman's office and he was like pleading with me not to quit, which I, I find it amazing now because it just doesn't happen like that anymore. If you quit, you're kind of persona non grata. But he was pleading with me not to quit and I said, no, I want to quit. Uh, it's time to quit. And then I went home and told my wife and I said, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. But uh, she was okay with it um, eventually. Um, so I just quit. So he was a great, great man. So, and then the, uh, my other mentor is in the field, Lily von Klemperer, who um, was, a, was a good friend of mine. I mean, why she liked me, I have no idea. You know, I was totally, I was a rich, she was, you know, really German and very kind of conservative. And I was a you know, hippie from New York with long hair, I, trying to be in the field of basically... She loved you. Oh, that's I've good. heard yeah. that. She, she, she loved you. I guess she was like a grandmother type. And, you know, I lived in the village, in Greenwich Village, and she lived in Greenwich Village. She lived at 61 West 9th Street, so I remember. So I would go over to her, her house, and this is after I left CIEE, and she was confused why I left. And there was this talk about commercial versus non-commercial. She didn't want me going in a commercial way, but I didn't think there was much difference between nonprofits and profits. I turned out to be right. There was zero difference. Having worked at the largest nonprofit CIEE, and then at one of the largest for-profits, AIFS, there's, there's no real difference. I said, it pays better at the for-profits. Um, so, so Lily was just great to talk to, and, and, and she talked. We used to have long conversations at her house, and she'd have a little glass of sherry for me, you know? And we'd sit around, and uh, she would talk about study abroad and the purity of the programs. And I published her little booklet, How to Read Study Abroad Literature. And I published that at CIEE, so I made Friend Forever. Like She wrote it as a NAFSA article. I made it into a little booklet, and I gave her lots of copies of it, because I thought it was really important. And she said things like, you know, airlines shouldn't be running study abroad programs, which was true, you know, absolutely true. So she kind of kept me on the straight and narrow mm-hmm. a little bit. So she was a big mentor, although I disagreed with her, I have to say, on 95% of the stuff, but we kind of liked each other. So And we had a lot of fun gossiping. She was a big gossip, and I'm a giant gossip. Um, so we had a lot of fun. So she was a big mentor. The third mentor, it would be... Um, Clay Hubbs, who was the editor of Transitions. And Transitions was where I landed. When I, Transitions was great because I love to write. So I wrote Student Guide to um, Amsterdam and a Student Guide to Paris and a Student Guide to London in those, in Transitions, a kind of irreverent look at how a student should travel, which was very anti-touristy and much more traveler, which I liked. But Clay came into my office at CIEE one day and like was selling ads for this new publication called Transitions, and I bought the first ad because I thought it was a great venue for, for CIEE. And Clay was um, a great guy. He knew how to travel, and, and his wife Joanna also. We went up there a lot, spent time with him, and he allowed me to write columns. I, w- I wrote a lot of columns for Transitions, and then I became the travel editor when I, was, I needed to have like a job on a on a resume, so he said, okay, travel editor, and I 
I put that so I had something on a resume. And Clay was a great writer, true believer, and also could cut through all the crap. And then John Booth at University of Michigan at the time. John was one of my first fr phone friends. So I, I was in charge of, just to digress a tiny bit, I was in charge of the ID cards, International Student Identity Cards okay. at CIEE. So I knew everybody because they all had to order the cards through mm -hmm. me. So John was kind of my first friend at a, at, a, at a university, then John Pearson, Nancy McCormick. And I still remember so vividly all these people from, you know, the late 70s who I was basically, you know, in contact with phone. And John was a real smart guy. I mean, John was, uh, is a real smart guy. Uh, really knew a lot about um, study and travel. At that, at that time, a lot of the business was more travel-oriented mm -hmm. than study abroad. I mean, they did both. Like, all mm -hmm. the leaders in NAFSA, Sakusa were all had big study abroad and travel offices mm -hmm. because travel was a big part. The ID cards, charter mm -hmm. flights, uh, rail passes, they all did a lot of that. That's all gone now because everything's on the internet pretty much. And I'm, I'm missing like hundreds of people who really helped me, especially between jobs. When I left my job at CIEE, I had this eight, nine-year period where I was consulting. And they were real helpful. They would, they would just always have ideas. I would come to NAFSA and, and hang out there, but I had no booth and no, I had no title and no organization. It's kind of odd, you know. And he was a, but, but John was a real, I, I remember John really well. The other mentor is my current chairman, Cyril Taylor, who is uh, 82 years old, lives in London. Um, I don't always agree with him, but he totally leaves me alone. What he thinks I do all day, I have no idea, uh, but we, we're doing really well at AFS, so he's pretty happy, as far as I know, uh, with me. Uh, but I've learned two things from him. One is drive, because I'm, a, I'm basically a lazy person, and he is not a lazy person at all. His, his mind is always going. Uh, so I learned drive, and I learned focus, which I, I'm surprisingly good at for someone who looks like they're not focused at all. If I have an issue or a problem or a dilemma, I can actually sit down and turn out the rest of the world and focus on it and come to a solution, and, and I'm fast at it. Not always right, but, but I, have the, I have a good focus. So I learned that a lot from him. And he, you know, his advice to me was always keep growing, keep learning. And he did things in his 60s and 70s that are amazing. I mean, you know, and, and he's been a tremendous, you know, leader of AIFS, which revolutionized a lot of the a lot mm -hmm. of the field. So he would be a mentor. Those are the ones that come to mind. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Well, um, I wanted to be a second baseman. Um, I still would, wouldn't mind doing that. I actually just framed. I just took my glove, my old glove from 1962 and I had it um, restored, my baseball glove. And I put it, because that was a happy period of my life. Playing baseball was wonderful. And then I thought I was going to be a poet. As I mentioned, I, I, I wrote a lot of poems. I wanted to be a poet, and I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and I had a lot of stuff published. And, but just, you can't really make a living as a poet. Um, well, I guess you can. But I didn't have, again, I wanted more. So, uh, so I wanted to be a poet. I wanted to be a second baseman. That's pretty much it. What motivates your work in education abroad? I think the end goal really motivates me to just you know, try to get to the end, you know, which I, I don't know what the end is, but motivates me is seeing how many students we could send abroad. I, I, I love when the numbers grow, and I'm unhappy when the numbers 
go down. So I'm, I'm motivated by enrollments, you know, when I see them on all my programs. And, uh, and, and I'm very um, sad when they inev- inevitably at some point, some locations, they go down. And, and I'm motivated also by the people I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I have 160 people in Stanford. I love going to work. I have like a dream job. I've always said this, especially in the last 10 years, because I love to come to work. It's mm-hmm. just all, all my friends are there. I hang out. We have a cappuccino machine. We talk. We gossip. We have lunch. And then I go home. And I get paid. It's like amazing. What a country. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you always like your job? <laughs> I do. I, I really, I mean, there's parts I don't like. You know, I mean, there's, um, I'm not the greatest businessman in the world. I don't, I don't know currencies too well. I, I, I don't know exchange gains, losses. Um, I don't love all that. I've managed to learn how to read a balance sheet and, and to do basic, um, and, I, and I est- I'm a great estimator. I can always tell you, like, you know, somebody would figure it out, it'll take them hours, and I can tell you in five minutes what something's gonna work or, or how, you know, how well it's gonna work or not work. So I'm pretty good at that, but um, I don't like the, um, I guess the business side kind of bores me at times, you know, um, but I have a lot of people who do that and are great at it. That's the other thing. I mean, you have to learn what you're good at. I'm pretty good with people because I, I basically like them and I'm good with motivation because I demand a lot, but I understand people have lives. So I, when I became CEO of AIFS, the first thing I did is totally change the culture. And I'm a big fan of kind of a loose culture because you can measure people's work very easily, whether they're doing a good job or not. But everything else is up to them, where they work, when they work. Do they want to come to work today? No. Do you have to take your kid to the doctor? Fine. I mean, I run a very loose organization, but we're very tight in getting the job done. Mm-hmm. So if you could have any job now, what would it be? Well, I think I got the job. I mean, I've got the, I've got the job. I've got the best job in the, the best organization in the field. My job is incredibly varied. We have eight different divisions, including study abroad. Um, and, and inbound and outbound students, 40000 a year. There's always something going on. I like my job. I, I still would like to be a second baseman, though, I'm, I have to say, you know, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen at my age. Um, but that's, and I wouldn't mind being a poet. Um, filmmaker would be okay, too. Well, that really segues almost mm. into the next question, which is, although you are not, how do you feel about retirement? You know, I get more and more questions about that as I get older. It's weird. I have six more years on my contract, so I'm going to work six more years, definitely, unless I decide I don't want to work six more years, in which case I won't. I understand I'm supposed to be thinking of it, uh, but I'm not thinking of it in terms of... I try try to live every day, pretty much, you know, as it is. I will retire at some point. You know, I, I like to come to work, and my... My friends are all around the world on Facebook, and they're all people I work with for the most part. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't have a strong feeling. I, I mean, if I retired tomorrow, I'd be okay with it, I think. I, I, I won't look back. I won't come back to NAFSA or four or ever. Like the day I retire, I'm done. That's just the way I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're all different. And, and um, I think I'm okay with retirement, although I have no idea what I would do next. Mm-hmm. Well, this is going to be tough. Very hard question. You have to narrow it down. Okay. What's your favorite story from your life in education abroad? Right. So I was thinking about this, um, and uh, my favorite story, I think, is 
Um, there was the uh, NAFSA conference, and it was at Iowa State University in God knows when. Uh, it was a long time ago. It was in the 70s, definitely. And we were in the dorms. We stayed in the dorms. You know, and so it was kind of a different than the 10,000 people that go to NAFSA today, pre-forum, obviously. And um, we were trying to figure out how to get information out about the sessions. Okay, so now we have, well, there's a session, there's evaluations, and there's, you know, it's a long process. In those days, John Pearson from the University of Tennessee and I were charged with going to all the sessions because we could go to all the sessions. There was no concurrent sessions. It was just like one session each, you know, and there were 300 people at NAPSA at the time. And uh, we had to go sit through every session and then write up summaries of the sessions and actually get them typed up by somebody. And then we had to actually distribute the summaries at the next day at the daily thing that came out. So, uh, and that was a funny story because we had to write, and neither one of us understood half of what was going on in the sessions. <laughs> I remember. So, and my notes were bad, and his notes were bad. So it was, it was a very funny story. I really had a good time doing it, and I really got to know John that way. Excellent. What has been the proudest moment in your education abroad career? Um, I would say um, two things that I would point to. One is getting my honorary degree at Richmond, um, at American International University at London. I loved that. I, I didn't think I was gonna, it was going to be a big deal but because I didn't go to my college graduation. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like going. I mean, I was that kind of person, and, and uh, I was in New York. It was too far to go. Um, I didn't go to my high school graduation. I just didn't feel like going. Um, again, I can't give I did go to my junior high school graduation. Where I did very well, but um, I didn't. I don't like graduations, so I didn't go, and I was very stubborn in those days. But this was a big deal for me, you know, and I had the sash on, the whole bit, and I, uh, I went there, went to London, uh, and my wife came with me, and I got to speak to graduates, you know, we had a big graduating class, and I spoke to them about my life, you know, and motivation, and how important it is to travel, and break down the bonds, and all the, all the stuff that we write about, think about, but I got to actually say it, and I say it was a proud moment um, in my life, so that was... Um, one and the second one I can point to is I organized a diversity abroad workshop, a diversity workshop in Washington D.C. in 2008, where I basically I just said I, I want to do this workshop. I knew a bunch of people. I knew Andrew Gordon, uh, and, you know, I knew I knew everybody in the field. And I said I wonder if I had a workshop in Washington D.C. Would anybody come? And I had my assistant. Paulette and I, we did the whole thing ourselves. We wrote the curriculum. I mean, it wasn't like we had a team of local arrangements, committees, and all this stuff. And I got 100 people to come to Washington to the National Press Club to do a really great conference, I thought, on uh, diversity issues. And, and, you know, again, it's one of these issues that we've been dealing with since day one, but I really want to do it. And I had, you know, invitations. I had a workshop booklets, and we had roundtable discussions. I was very proud of that. I thought that was kind of cool do that uh, as an event, a one-time event. So those are the two things that, that I can think of. I'm also, you know, real happy with, um, proud to see getting, you know, some acclaim in the field, proud that my employees like me, you know, and, and there's this thing called Glassdoor, I don't know if you know about it, where people rape CEOs, it's kind of um, intimidating in a way because you actually see what people think about you. And my rating is really high, and I'm really proud of that because people, people, I think I do a pretty good job, and I think I'm pretty 
honest with people, and I, I don't, you know, I don't ask them to do anything I wouldn't do, mm-hmm. um, pretty much. Um, <laughs> Are there any difficult moments of your career that you would like to talk about? Not too many. The one I remember is um, early on in my AIFS career. My boss, who was the president of the company, came over to me and said, you better start writing memos about what you're doing because I think people are thinking you're not doing enough and you, you might get fired. So I said, wow, that's like a serious thing. I don't really feel like I'm getting fired. I have like an eight-year-old, you know, and I'm not, I'm not that employable. I don't, you know, I mean, I am and I'm not. I don't like to, uh, again, I don't love to follow rules, so I'm not great at interviews and job interviews in particular. So what I did is... Um, I wrote a couple of memos, but I said, this is, this is bad. And I was really nervous for many, many months, so like five or six months. So finally what happened was I didn't get fired. My boss got fired, <laughs> the president of, the, of AIFS at the time, who was a great guy, and probably another mentor to, to go back to that. But I, that was a difficult moment, going through a period where you, you know, you're, at the, you're at the company that you want to be at, the organization you want to be at, but you, you might not go any further. And I... And I wanted to be the CEO of AIFS from the day I got there. So it was like 1986. And I actually went into my chairman's office in 1988 when I had been there three years. And I, he said, how are you? And he, he's a busy man. I said, I'm fine, but I really want to be president you know, of AIFS. Mm-hmm. And he said, he left. You know? And then he came back to me you know, 20 years later and said, how would you like to be the president of AIFS? I said, I told you I was going to do that. You, know? I mean, you should have listened to me 20 years ago. But um, so that that was a difficult moment. I can't really remember um, a lot of difficult moments, but there have been things. Some I don't want to mention, you know. Um, but there's been difficult moments. But I would say in the last, I mean, it's it's been a really great last, last decade's been really really good. I have to say. Well, what brings you the most satisfaction in your professional life? I, th- I love to write. So I, again, I'm real. I mean, I'm very technological. At, Adept, uh, you know, I understand. Uh, uh, we had the first website in the field at AIFS in '94. We actually had a website up. Yeah. I was always into it because I love television. I'm a big TV like you know, I like to watch. I used to like to watch cartoons until I was about 35. You know, so but I love technology. You know, mm-hmm. but I also I came up through the print era. So my, my job as marketing director, and I've been marketing directors. That's how I got. You know, I was the associate marketing director, then the marketing director, vice president of marketing, senior vice president, etc., etc. I love the marketing, so I love all that stuff which is gone now. All that stuff about print and design and working with designers and, and, and colors and brochures. I love all that. So now when I get to write, which is, you know, I write a bunch of articles. I, I do some writing. I love to write. I like to see myself in print. You know, I, I just love, I did a couple of articles for a Chinese magazine. I saw myself like in Chinese characters. I thought it was so cool, you know. <laughs> and I like to write. So I'm always, if somebody says, do you want to write something? I'll always write something, an article about anything Remembrances, um, difference, you know, technology. I like to write about technology, what students think about, you know, the, the importance and yet the, the dangers of Facebook and Instagram, everything online, your life online when you're studying abroad. I love that kind of contradiction because when my daughter was studying abroad, she relied too much on, on the, we had too much communication. Whereas when I went abroad, I did not communicate at home. There was no way. You couldn't call, you couldn't send a bunch of postcards. But, you, but now it's like you, you don't really leave. You know? So I think, so I like to write about that you know, and, and the push pull between the good part of technology and then the, 
advanced heart of technology. So my, my, what I like to do now, and I do write, I still look at every kind of brochure, and, and letting go is tough, because I really feel I could do it better than my whole team, and I hate to say that, but hopefully they won't listen to this, but I, 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 I put out better brochures than they do, but I can't do everything anymore, I know that, and they do a great job, but I, I really like to have the final say, mm-hmm. as does my chairman, and mm-hmm. Cyril Taylor's exactly like that, he says, well, let me see the cover. I said, what year is this? We don't even use brochures, really. But I still like, I like print, so I like to write. That's what Well, remembering back over your career, what is the most important lesson you've learned as an education abroad professional? I think, um, probably not to take myself too seriously, which I don't. I think you need to be not too self-important, and be, because in the, you need to listen to other people. You really need to be kind of open I really want to make sure that I'm open to to new ideas, and not just to say we've done that before, because that is the tendency, you know. And I have that tendency. I get we all do. Well, that's not going to work. Well, different things might work now, you know. Even though the idea is an old idea, there are a lot of old ideas in our field. They really are. I mean, there's not a lot of new ideas. I haven't seen any new ideas. Faculty development. Well, we've been doing that forever. Faculty taking students, but it's not new. I mean, it's. More now, we have more short. I mean, I can give you the whole rundown. There are more short-term programs now, but we always have short-term programs. You know, students aren't going to go abroad for a year anymore. They just don't want to do that. They don't have the attention span. They don't have the money. But, but again, I think you have to be open to to looking at new things. And the, the lesson is not to get yourself in, in a situation where you're you only think one way. And a tough question for those of us that love our work. Do you, how do you separate your professional and personal oh, that's life? That's the easiest question of the whole day. Mm-hmm. I don't. I have I have one life, and it's this is it. You know, my wife comes with me when she can. Um, my kids know what I do. Uh, I don't have any separation. My friends are my friends. They're work friends. Uh, I don't have any non-work friends. I just mm-hmm. other than people I've known forever, my cousins, and I, I, I think if you try to do that. You'll be frustrated one way or another. I go, I, I go on vacation when I'm working. I work when I'm on vacation. Mm-hmm. I don't stop working. I work seven days a week, no question about it. But I also vacation seven days a week. I, it's a great life, and um, I, I will be in touch. The difference between now uh, and separation is you cannot separate your life from your work anymore. Mm-hmm. You could in the old days, although I was not the type. You, you know, when I used to go away... Uh, the office would call me if there's an emergency, and they would have to define what an emergency is, and nobody would want to bother me, so there was never an emergency. Um, and I read the news, so I know if there's a bombing somewhere, I mean, I'll call the office. You know, So you don't need, I don't think you need to separate, because it just becomes all integrated in my life, and if somebody calls me for work, I mean, you know, I'm on the internet late, um, people from work can call me anytime, Saturday, Sunday, I don't care. You know, I'm always working and I'm always on vacation. So, And a final question. Okay. What is your message to the education abroad I, I think field? He, I mean, really, it's, it's not for me to give a message. I, let's keep on doing what we're doing. I mean, you know, keep on trucking, I guess, would be a message from my era. Um, but I think it's keep on, you know, what we do is important. As I said before, it's about world peace. When you really think of it, it really is. So I think you have to step back and realize that these little issues, you know, I hear all the issues, especially from the university folks, they have so many issues with those miserable bureaucracies. 
at, at universities that they deal with, and they don't have funding for this. I mean, I hate all that, which is why I could never work at a university, ever. Plus, I could never be on time, so that probably wouldn't work. You know, they, they go through all these problems, but, and they don't always step back and say, wow, what we do is so important. It's a helping profession. It is the most important profession that there is. It's, it's, we're, like, we're doctors, you know, to a certain extent. I think it's so important, the work, and I think we need to step back more often and, and not congratulate ourselves, but just, you know, the message is this work is important and it will continue with us and then we will retire and then there'll be a whole new generation of people, which there are. I always, see, I always like to see who's like the up-and-coming, you know, rock stars of, of mm-hmm. study abroad. There's always a bunch of people, you know, and I don't know any of the young people. I don't know if they stay up till four o'clock in the morning smoking pot like we used to. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Well, I speak for myself, okay. I, I don't know what people do anymore because I go to bed early. You know, it's like it's 9 o'clock. It's like, okay, um, time for bed. And it's like, ah, aren't I supposed to be at the bar making a business deal or something like we used to do? But no, I think there's a whole new generation of people. And the message is that it's an amazing way to make a living. It is an amazing way to help people. And you know, mm-hmm. when, people tell, when you tell people what you do for a living, they go, wow, that sounds great. And they're jealous, which is always cool. Um, I, I think it's, it's just, the message is really, let's just keep going. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether or not we, we get there is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I like the IID's Generation Study Abroad, ambitious mm-hmm. goals. But let's just keep making new goals. There's always been a goal. I mean, we've had you know, Barbara Burns' goals and <laughs> NAFSA's goals and IIE's goals. There's always a goal. We never get to the goal. But we've increased the numbers of students studying abroad. We, it's doubled. That's a good thing. And, and it's more diverse than it's ever been. Not there yet, but it's more diverse. So it's, my message is let's just keep on doing this. It's fun. On the next Forum Storytellers podcast... Mickey Slend 